Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, a podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the sweet siren of podcasting, Lydia. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that was my dolphin noise, but (laughs) obviously not attracting too many sailors with that. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know how to respond to that. (laughs) Well, we could start off by discussing what you call a mermaid that kills at the full moon. Is it uh, a merwolf or a weremaid or a weremer? That's a very good question, and even a better question we'll probably get into as we get into the <laughs> discussion is exactly where that even has anything to, in, in, to do with the film other than the synopsis. Once again, we have been suckered in. <laughs> But anyway, we are getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Before we go any further, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And remind for anybody, if this happens to be your first uh, show, I will let you know that you can subscribe to this podcast through Apple iTunes. Apple iTunes, I think that's the thing. <laughs> Apple Podcast or iTunes, whatever you want to call it. Stitcher Radio, Google Play. And I think maybe by the time this comes out, we may even be on Spotify Ooh. if that's your thing. <laughs> Let's see, and whatever podcatcher you use, just go ahead and search for Orphaned Entertainment, and we should be able to, we should should come up, and you can download us there. You can join our Facebook group, just go to facebook.com and search for Orphaned Entertainment. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel, just search for Orphaned Entertainment over there. And there you can watch many of the films we have covered here on the podcast, as well as know in a little in advance what film we're going to be covering next. And I think just about all these links are available on our webpage at orphanedentertainment.com. That's all the housekeeping. And uh, I know apparently we're kind of anxious to get into this <laughs> month's episode. So let's go ahead and take a break, listen to a five-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. When we get back, we're going to look at 1963's Nighttime. Another five-minute mystery. Who shall I say is calling, sir? Jack Curtis of the Evening Record. Oh, yes, Mr. Curtis. If you will follow me, sir, Mr. Fuller will see you. Uh, Mr. Fuller? I'm uh, Leslie Fuller. It was my father who was was killed. Uh, According to reports, the case isn't progressing so well. Uh, No, it isn't, Mr. Curtis. Seems to be a complete mystery as to who could have killed my father. I wonder if it might be possible for me to talk with the other members of the household. Oh, yes, of course. There's just my sister Barbara, Barton the butler, and myself. Did you ring, sir? Oh, yes, Barton. Mr. Curtis would like to talk to you and my sister. Will you go for her? She's in her room. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Fuller, were you at home the night your father was killed? I'm a radio news commentator, Mr. Curtis, and at the time my father was killed, I was on the air. Oh, don't believe I've ever heard you on the radio, Mr. Fuller. It's quite possible that you haven't, Mr. Curtis. My commentaries are broadcast in shortwave, unless you had a shortwave receiver. Oh, yes, yeah, of course. Did you want to see me, Leslie? Oh, yes, Barbara. May I present Mr. Curtis of the evening record? He wants to ask you some questions. How do you do, Mr. Curtis? Oh, how do you do? Uh, you remain also, Barton. Yes, sir. Uh, where were you at the time Mr. Fuller was killed, Barton? I was in the kitchen, sir. I was helping cook polish the silver. When I heard the shot, I ran into the drawing room and found Mr. Fuller slumped over in his chair. Shot through the head, wasn't he, Barton? Yes, sir. And uh, where were you at the time, Miss Fuller? Oh, I was here in the library. I was lying on the sofa listening to Leslie on the radio when I heard the shot. I never missed Radio? What radio? Oh, that old portable over there on the desk. Oh, I see. Uh, Where is the cook, Mr. Fuller? 
Uh, she left this morning. She was terribly upset, and the police said it would be all right. I see. Well, that's a very beautiful picture of you there on the desk, Miss Fuller. Do you have another one like it? Why, yes, of course, but... Oh, I don't want it for myself, Miss Fuller. I, I want it for my paper. Just what are you driving at, Curtis? Just that your sister's picture will appear in the paper tomorrow under the headline, Daughter Murders Father. But that's fantastic. You have no reason in the world to believe that I murdered No, him. I don't, don't I? Well, you made one statement that convinced me immediately that you were lying. <laughs> What was the statement that led Curtis to believe that Barbara was lying? In a moment, we'll let you know, but first... What the hell is this, the wonderful Billy Flynn? Just some podcast that's supposed to be geeky, podcasting's Rich Sigfrit. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. Screw that noise. I'm not going to try it. Hey, Flinstress, let's get Mikey. Do you mean critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason, who hosts the Beer Power Time Machine podcast? Yeah, but he won't listen. He hates everything. I'm critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason. I don't often listen to podcasts, but when I do, make mine Geek Radio Daily. Hey, hey, hey man, that, that's a different promo. Between love and madness lies Geek Radio Daily. That's kind of accurate. There are some things money can't buy. GRD is free online. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Geek Radio Daily. Eh, we'll take it. Geek Radio Daily. All the geek... Without the wait, geekradiodaily.com. Now, back to our mystery. Yes, Miss Fuller, you made one statement that convinced me immediately that you were lying. Your alibi was that at the time the shot was fired, you were lying in here listening to your brother's commentary on the radio. That's impossible, Miss Fuller. Your brother broadcasts on short wave. Short wave is something different, Miss Fuller, and requires a special receiving set. You could hardly expect me to believe that you heard your brother on that old portable radio you have here. It just wouldn't work. Get your hat and coat, Miss Fuller. Where you're going, you'll have a long time to figure out the intricacies of short wave. Night Tide, yes, 1963, was written and directed by Curtis Harrington and stars Dennis Hopper as Johnny Drake and Linda Lawson as Mora. The movie was filmed in 1960. It premiered in 1961, but was held up from general release until 1963. So you'll see a couple different dates if you look this film up. Harrington was a was most closely tied to artistic short films, often regarded as kind of an avant-garde and experimental director. His short films did not pay the uh, pay the bills, of course, and he turned to being a film critic and a writer. One story he wrote, Secrets of the Sea, he thought might make a decent film. So Harrington uh, worked out an agreement with Roger Corman that Filmways would distribute the picture if it got made. And then he successfully borrowed against that distribution guarantee to raise the $50,000 needed to make the movie. Uh, that wasn't the end of the troubles, though. The production company, Virgo, defaulted on their Pathé Lab loan of about $34,000, and Pathé was prepared to foreclose on the picture. Roger Corman stepped in and asked that they hold off in order to allow Film Group to distribute the film, promising Pathé $15,000 within 12 months of the film's release. Pathé agreed, and Film Group released it through American International Pictures as the bottom half of a double bill with Corman's The Raven. <laughs> Harrington had hoped to cast Peter Lorre in the role of the old sea captain, who serves as Mora's sur surrogate father and sideshow Barker boss, but Lorre proved too expensive, which left Gavin Muir to step in as a replacement. Other roles went to non-actors or Roger Corman regulars. Getting Dennis Hopper, who was already well-known as an up-and-coming star, was a huge plus for the film, and, for, and probably for Harrington to get the money he needed. I'm sure that played a role. <laughs> Harrington's work in experimental short films did not really prepare him to having to communicate with, like, with actors, <laughs> and he relied on Dennis Hopper as kind of a liaison, because even though he was fairly new to the business, he was still more experienced than Harrington. This didn't stop some issues from occurring. 
For example, the actor playing the police inspector was not given a script before he arrived on set. <laughs> Oops. So he was uh, unavoidably unprepared. And if you watch the movie, that shows. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis Hopper was an actor, director, writer, film editor, photographer, and artist. He made his first television appearance in 1954 and soon after appeared alongside James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause in 1955 and Giant in 1956. Hopper went on to make his directorial debut with Easy Rider, which he and co-star Peter Fonda wrote along with Terry Southern. The film earned Hopper a Cannes Film Festival Award for Best First Work, and the trio of writers got a nomination from the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Hopper's next directing project, The Last Movie, in 71, was a commercial and critical bomb. This very possibly was the catalyst that sent Hopper into a period of intense alcohol and drug abuse. Good idea! <laughs> like you do. Like yeah. you do. He worked on various small projects until he went through a personal and professional revival cleaning himself up, and landing the role of the American photojournalist in Apocalypse Now. So he, this would be in 1979. He was the original Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he then went on to helm his third directorial work, Out of the Blue, in 1980, for which one, again, he was honored at Cannes. He worked fairly regularly from that point on. Some small roles, some larger, including uh, films in roles in Rumblefish and The Osterman Weekend. He received another Academy Award nomination, this time for Best Supporting Actor, for his portrayal of an alcoholic father to, who tries to get sober and help coach his son's basketball team in Hoosiers in 1986. <laughs> Maybe a role a little close to his real life there. Yeah. But it was not until he portrayed the gas-huffing, obscenity-screaming, iconic villain Frank Booth in David Lynch's Blue Velvet in 86 that his career truly revived. On reading the script, Hopper said to Lynch, you have to let me play Frank Booth because I am Frank Booth. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> I now have five different reasons never to meet Dennis Hopper, uh, although I, I won't ever, you know, need to worry about that. But. No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't point out a couple of other roles that uh, I truly enjoyed. He was, of course, King Koopa in Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> And he was, of course, the fantastic villain in Speed. You mean La Vitesse, but yes, Speed. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Hopper's love of art began in the 60s when he was effectively ostracized by the Hollywood film studios due to his reputation for being a uh, quote-unquote difficult actor. He'd become a prolific photographer, and writer Terry Southern profiled Hopper in Better Homes and Gardens magazine as an up-and-coming photographer to watch in the mid-1960s. Hopper began shooting portraits for Vogue and other magazines. His photographs of Martin Luther King Jr.'s 1963 March on Washington and 1965 Civil Rights March in Selma, Alabama were published. His intimate and unguarded images of celebrities like Andy Warhol and Jane Fonda were the subject of gallery shows and were collected in a book, 1712 North Crescent Heights. The book's title was his at-the-time address in the Hollywood Hills. Hopper was also a painter and a poet, as well as a collector of art, particularly pop art. One of the first artworks Hopper owned was an early print of Andy Warhol's Campbell Soup Cans he bought for $75. <laughs> Hopper also once owed Andy Warhol's Mao, which Hopper shot one evening in a fit of drug-fueled paranoia. That print, complete with two bullet holes, Sold for over $300,000 at a Christie's auction oh in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> On October 29th, 2009, Hopper's manager, Sam Maydew, reported that Hopper had been diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer. And in January of 2010, it was reported that the cancer had metastasized in his bones. Dennis Hopper died at his home in the coastal Venice district of Los Angeles on the morning of May 29th, 2010. 12 days after his 74th birthday. And, you know, I have to admit, until I was kind of reading this and everything, I had forgotten that he had passed away. Yeah, I I know because IMDb told me so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. He's kind of one of these fun actors that you don't realize. I, I don't know. He's He's done a lot of things, but 
he he doesn't immediately jump out. Your, his films don't jump out in your head Mm-mm. necessarily. And you recognize but his when name. you watch him, yeah, yeah, you recognize his name, and you think he's been in like tons of things. But it's like no, he's just been in a lot of just a few really important mm-hmm. things. And Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting actor. Another one of those actors that obviously his life took a bad turn, but he was able to come back from it. And really, his career was probably stronger after mm-hmm. than it was even before. Mm-hmm. Or certainly, at least as equally as uh, important. Yeah, and not to say that he wasn't in a significant number. I'm, I think it's over 200 different things he was he was in not counting directing and writing but you know it's not you're right you know his name but you don't necessarily think of him right away well this film's an interesting to look at then being the, so early in his career and he was so young in this film he certainly looked very young in this film yeah yeah definitely very young in this film now and and is it just me or did we not <laughs> did we not review the pit and the pendulum and so we're actually getting to see another person for the second time really who are we getting for the second I, time here? i did a little digging not very much but uh luana anders who plays the the carousel keeper's granddaughter ellen was actually in the pit and the pendulum uh in the same oh, the same year that this was made so Hmm. That's an interesting crossover. I yeah. I don't think yeah. We have not done we we have, we have not done a pit and a pendulum. Oh man, we it probably isn't out of copyright, and I don't even know how I got around no. to watching it in that case. Yeah, which one was that? Was that the one with like um? Oh, that was probably back when Corman was doing all his Poe films. Yeah, exactly. One? Well, okay. yeah, right along. Yeah, in yeah, the I same read, year with this one. Right, I did read that she was she was indeed one of Corman's kind of regulars, but, his go-to actors. And I so do know that makes sense. The reason I've seen it is because Vincent Price is in it heavily. Ah, so. exactly. There you go. I was thinking that must that must be the one. Mm-hmm. But you you also mentioned Easy Rider. She starred alongside with Dennis Hopper in that. Well, not starred. I'm not sure that's the right word to use. But she did uh, work with him again in that as well. So you ready to get into this film anyway, there, Lydia? I'm ready. All righty, Night Tide, 1963. Movie opens and we follow a Navy sailor on the Santa Monica Pier. Eventually, uh. He's just kind of wandering around. He's looking a little, uh, little bored. You know, does the uh, does the photo booth, looking around. You can tell he's like obviously doesn't have any friends or anything. Apparently, he's, <laughs> he's, he's by himself. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> yeah, it's a little sad. Um, I like him in the uh, in the photo booth, uh, trying to do the pictures, and of course, gets a picture when he's not ready, and you know, like, <laughs> like everybody does when they're in a photo booth. Mm-hmm. He eventually finds his way to the Blue Grotto, a small basement bar and jazz club. He goes in and he grabs a beer and he finds a seat that is almost directly behind the band. He kind of scans the crowd and he ends up spotting a beautiful woman sitting alone uh, across the room. I like how it does this pan because he, you know, he ends up sitting like right next to the drummer and then he's looking through and it's like couple, couple, couple mm-hmm. grumpy dude alone right. couple <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was by I think that was by design <laughs> excuse me uh, do you mind if I sit here I can't see anything but their backs from where I'm sitting it's alright thank you that's really a great combo huh I'd like to listen please I love it too though so she says you know oh i want to listen and he says okay and then after like five seconds he's like oh yeah that was really good wasn't it <laughs> at least he let her listen for like five seconds <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. well he does ask the buyer a drink uh, but she refuses and they return to listening to the music an older woman dressed in black enters the room and is noticed by this young woman woman in black comes up to the table and speaks to the girl in a strange language Despite claiming that she does not know the woman or what she said, the girl is visibly upset and quickly leaves. The sailor runs after her, giving the woman in black one last look. The sailor catches up with the girl on the street. Hi. Why are you following me? Well, you left so fast. I don't know how to reach you or anything like 
I'd like to see you again if it's okay. It's impossible. Hey, wait. Um, just let me talk to you for a little while. I'll just walk along with you. Shouldn't be out alone on a night like this anyway. Would I be safe with you? Yes. Hey, I know that woman upset you. I thought maybe you'd need somebody to talk to. Come on, is this the way? Okay. They walk for a while, and they reach a large building, which the girl says is where she lives. The sailor notices that the building houses a large merry-go-round. The girl explains that her apartment is upstairs. The two finally get around to introducing themselves. He's Johnny, and she is called Mora. Johnny tries to invite himself upstairs, but she turns him down. Oh, he's so smooth. Aren't you going to invite me in for just a while? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no. Yes. He very awkwardly forces a kiss on her cheek and asks if he could see her tomorrow. After saying please, she agrees and says she will make him breakfast for him. So wow, come wow. back for that. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately thought, well, now that's a come hither, but that's not what she meant. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was hoping for breakfast, but I don't think he planned on having to go home. <laughs> but she tells him to come back by 11, or by, you know, at 11 the next day. So I guess it's more of a brunch, brunch than a breakfast, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he does, he does seem nice. You know, I appreciate at least that she says, why are you following me? Uh you know, and yeah, it's dark outside. I guess it makes sense to let a guy walk you back, except that she doesn't know him. And yeah, uh, it's the 60s. Maybe there aren't as many crazy homicidal people around as there are now. It was Maybe. half the population of Earth, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of what I thought when he was, you know, kind of trying to force the kiss on her. I was like, hmm. Really, if everything that's been going on here lately in the world, that's, now, this seems really odd. To be fair, he didn't Marlon Brando her. It's not like he fully no, grabbed no. her and forced her. It was just like, like he thinks he's going in for the kiss, and she's like, cheek. And he goes, yeah. oh, well, now I'm there. I might as well go ahead and kiss it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the next day, Johnny arrives and is just in time to help a man with the doors to the merry-go-round. Johnny asks if he can take a look at the horses, and while doing so, he meets the man's granddaughter, Ellen. Now, this was a little confusing. He introduces her as his granddaughter, but she calls him dad. Did you catch that? No, but maybe it's one of those where, uh, where he raised his kid's kid. I'm stretching. I don't really know. But no, I didn't catch that. But I just uh, I've never heard we... anybody I've never heard anyone call their grandfather dad before. Me neither. Maybe this uh kind of harkens back to that whole script issue that we hear later with the police officer. Yeah, possibly. Well when Johnny mentions that he is there to see Mora, the man appears a little worried. Johnny makes his way up to Mora's apartment. She lets him in, and they have a little small talk, talking about how great her place is and everything. It is a fairly nice little apartment, honestly. Yeah, very nice, especially they, for the era. Yeah, and they sit down to breakfast on the balcony, which has a fantastic view of Santa Monica and the pier and everything. So, yeah, that's that's got to be one of those apartments. It's got to be rent-controlled. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not New York City, and this is before that whole area was quite as popular as it is now. Um, but did you catch, it seems like the dialogue in here, it's weird. It's like they really go to an effort to make it seem natural, and so it comes off as kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you can pick that up on a couple of times, especially between these two. You almost get the impression that their script was just, and then you say something nice to her. You know, and it was up, it was up to Hopper to, to come up with something, and vice versa. And, uh, and, that's yeah. kind of how it felt. I couldn't tell if he was bad at the script and forgetting his lines or if that was just the character he was playing. Yeah. <laughs> if he wasn't just this kind of awkward, slightly over-eager guy, which, you know, he seems sweet. I'll give mm-hmm. him that. Well, over breakfast, we learn that Mora is an attraction on the pier. She's a mermaid. She dresses up with a fake tail and lies in a tank that looks like it's filled with water, and people pay 25 cents to come and look at her. We also learn a little bit about Johnny. I told you about myself. What about you? <laughs> Me, I'm a member of the U.S. Navy. <laughs> uh, you really want to know? 
Yes. Well, my mother, um, my father left my mother and I when I was very young. So I became very close to my mother. And I've always wanted to see the world, and I never had a chance to. I couldn't. And my mother fell ill and died. So I figured the easiest way to get out of Denver, Colorado, was to join the Navy, see the world. But I haven't seen any of it yet. You will. I hope so. While they are talking, Maura notices some seagull circling. <laughs> And we have the creepiest seagull interlude ever. (laughs) (laughs) Look at them, Johnny. Look at them. I I expected her to be like, seagulls. She just is like, it's so weird. I don't know anybody that gets that excited about seagulls except me. (laughs) Well, especially when you figure they're probably literally staples of your life because of where you live. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, you're trying to, like, guard your food from getting pooed on by the seagulls most of the time. (laughs) And she's, like, it's like she's hardly ever seen them before until, magically, she catches one. Yes, yes, yes. She mentions that they're attracted by the food, and if you wait, they'll get they'll get bolder and bolder and come closer. Well, one swoops down and lands on the table, and Mora grabs it and pulls it to her lap. She holds it and pets it. Tried this with my cat before, and even doesn't, like doesn't relatively well, does tame it? animals, yeah, they're not that excited about this. No. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's a pretty darn calm seagull. Yeah. Well, apparently, although this seagull was somewhat tame, they still apparently wired its beak shut to make sure it didn't like scratch and bite her. So <laughs> yeah. But pre. Pre-animal rights. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, maybe. More yes, to I the assume, point. I'm assuming it was somewhat tame. I don't know. Maybe they just caught some seagull off the beach, <laughs> wired its mouth shut, and said, here, hold this. <laughs> tied, its, tied its legs together and, <laughs> and taped its wings down. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Johnny asks where she learned to do that, and she admits that she really doesn't remember, probably on the island where she grew up. After breakfast, the two walk to Mora's booth, and we meet her boss, Captain Murdoch. Mora leaves to get ready, and Johnny talks with Murdoch. Tell me, young man, you've been sailing the seas for how long? Oh, not long at all. I've only gone as far as the Hawaiian Islands. I'm stationed down in Pedro. Oh, that's a pity. That's a pity. I thought we might reminisce. You know, compare notes as one seaman to another. You know I'm retired from His Majesty's service. Oh, you mean the English Navy? Precisely, precisely, the English Navy. Later on, I became captain of my own ship. That's how I found her on one of my voyages. You mean Maura? Yes, well, perhaps she's told you all about it. No, she hasn't. She told me uh, something about coming from an island. You know, you might be interested in that story. It's a very unusual one. Now, why don't you come and visit me sometime? Well, listen, maybe I can come down a... Some weekend when I have liberty. Yes, yes, no hurry, no hurry at all. But I tell you what, I'll give you my card. I live in Venice. It's not as grand as its Italian namesake, but it has a certain charm, nevertheless. <laughs> Captain Samuel Murdoch. Yes, yes. I'm ready, Johnny. Oh, uh, well, I, I'll see you around. Yes, yes, goodbye. Bye. Johnny goes in to see, uh, in, in the booth to see Mora, and we see her complete with fishtail in her tank. So that, that she just she just literally does lie there and brush her hair. That's what you that's what you get for twenty five cents, folks. <laughs> and she does. I mean, you know, she it looks kind of watery. Yeah, yeah. No, it it, it is a pretty good a uh, pretty good effect. Uh, obviously, there's probably like a tank of water over her or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> but it is also worth mentioning that to ride the merry go round, which I would call a carousel, not just merry go round, but to ride on that, it's only fifteen cents. So I'm not really sure you're getting your money's worth here. No, no, absolutely. I'd rather ride the merry go round. I think so. The next weekend, Johnny arrives by bus and is met by Mora. He's so cute. He looks so excited to see her, and he's like. Sitting in the front seat, like, ready to jump off the bus right away. Right, yep. And it surprises me, and we'll find out here in this next scene, that um, this is only the third time they've they've met. So this is literally, like, their second real date. 
So well, I, I almost thought maybe time had passed and they'd been seeing each other for a while the way he was <laughs> acting. But this was well, this is really apparently like just the next weekend. I, I kind of had to go back and check that because I was like, wait, three times. This is like the second time they. Well, met. I'm assuming the the night at the at the club yeah. where he walked yes. her home, and then breakfast and spending the day together, and then this. Yeah. So that's but three. They're, they're really sweet. Like it, it's one of those weird relationships where they. I guess now it's more like teenagers are kind of like this, where they're kind of innocent and sweet and like just happy to be around each other as opposed mm-hmm. to like trying to get it on all the time. Yeah. So not, not really your, in my, my impression of typical sixties movie relationships, not really in that vein. They're just actually really like sweet together. Yeah, they are. Well, the two enjoy a day at the beach after they eat some lunch. Johnny asks Mora about Sam. And I'm going to play a clip where we find out that he was, you know, adoptive father, and et cetera, et cetera. Sam is also Captain Murdoch, right? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, it was. No, no, I you're just, okay. Yeah. I got a little confused for a minute, and I almost asked about it earlier, but I wanted to make sure. Yep, yep. Sorry, I, and I do believe he may have been. I, I, I think he introduces himself or mentions his first name in the uh, in the previous clip. I think I just wrote Sam because I'm pretty sure Johnny asks. When he asks Mora, he says, tell, <laughs> yeah, me, he about says, tell me about Sam. Yeah. Tell me about exactly. that Sam guy or something <laughs> like that. Well, Mora and Johnny, the two share a kiss as the scene fades to crashing waves. And fill in the blank on what that might or may or may not mean. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to go with I think they're real innocent and sweet together. So, yeah, I think uh, so. And based on something that Murdoch says a little bit later, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to that I- impression. All righty. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it was just a... Uh, a, a director's choice, but in in other films that would mean something. Well, and it's worth mentioning they're not rolling around in the waves, so they're probably no, no. not doing the dirty. No, that's true. <laughs> and there was someone just—I mean, they just walked by somebody on the beach. So yeah, they're not those people in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> that evening, the pair attend a beach party. Two bongo players are doing their thing, and they ask Mora to dance for them. Mora does as the crowd watches and cheers her on. Out of the darkness, the woman in black appears as a music crescendos. Mora sees her and immediately faints. This is not the woman in black that we're familiar with now. This is just the creepy lady from the, <laughs> yeah. from the jazz club. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe I should find a different way to describe her. <laughs> I just she's a her woman. She's woman. wearing black. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She does. <laughs> When Mora wakes, she claims to not even have seen the woman. The next day, Johnny shows up at the merry-go-round and has some coffee with Ellen, her granddad, and a local tarot card reader, Madame Romanovich. Ellen, who is obviously fairly interested in Johnny. Oh, Ellen does not hide her attraction to Johnny whatsoever. <laughs> but it is interesting, like in this scene especially, you really can see the difference between Ellen and Mora. Because Mora has this whole, uh, you know, mysterious aura going on about her. And she mm-hmm. kind of always has that attitude of being, you know, sort of shy and, Aloof. you know, reticent. Yes, yeah. not not cold, but just, you know above it all sort of yeah just always standing kind of just just out out of your reach yeah, yeah. and then you've got ellen who's you know typical so how long you been in the navy you know oh, yeah like, she, she practically she, sits on his lap super yeah <laughs> super just normal girl she is the normal girl here so of course he's not going to be interested in her because more is more exciting yeah exactly while chatting a police lieutenant henderson stops by and We'll play the clip of uh, him, <laughs> And has <actually>. no script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Police Lieutenant No Script Henderson. <laughs> hello, folks. Oh, hello. Dad, it's Lieutenant Henderson. Oh, how are you, Lieutenant? Fine. Would you like a cup of coffee? No, thank you. I can't. You haven't seen anything new or unusual, have you? No, I haven't. Have you, Dad? No. How's things with you, Lieutenant? You come across any new clues? Maybe. We're not quite sure about it yet, though. There's not very much to go on. It's nice to know you ain't just given up. Well, I'd better be on my way. See you all again soon. Well, bye, Lieutenant. Bye. So it turns out the police have been asking them about Mora. 
Ellen thinks Johnny should know some things about her. In the past two years, Morris had two boyfriends, and they're both dead now. What, do the police think that had something to do with her? Nothing's been proved. No, not yet. But don't you think the fact that it's happened twice is enough? They were both nice boys. They went around with her. Then suddenly, they disappear. A few days later, their bodies are found. Washed up on shore. Drowned. Nevertheless, my dear, there wasn't a shred of evidence that it wasn't simply a most unfortunate coincidence. The police haven't been able to make a single arrest. I know, but if she didn't cause their death, then she brings bad luck, and that's almost as bad. I bet she didn't tell you about those boys, did she? The nearby payphone rings. The old man answers the call and uh, calls to Johnny and says that it's for him. Curious, though, since no one knows that Johnny's there. He takes the call, but it's immediately disconnected. He looks out the door and spots this, the creepy lady woman. in black, the creepy woman in black <laughs> across the street. She's like really hustling. She's hurrying oh, sure along she there. And yep. at first, you, I, I thought the first time I watched it that she like was like kind of looked away from him. But when you, when I watched it again, I was like, no, she. It's like she could just be a random woman just walking by, and he just like is like, it's her. <laughs> right. Yeah, you expect to maybe see her actually coming out of a phone booth or anything like that, but it's nothing like that. No, she's just She along. just happens to be walking along the street is what it appears. Well, Johnny takes off to follow her, and she leads him through street after street. And he's practically right behind her when she turns a corner, and when Johnny does the same, she's nowhere to be found. And I think at that point is kind of when this actually starts going from just this sort of sweet, it's kind of like a romance, a little bit of a mystery, and now it turns into almost like ghost story mystery when that happens. Yeah. You, you realize that, they're okay, there's something a little bit more going on here. And he, he asks a little girl, he says, did a woman just come this way? And she just shakes her head and then runs off. Right. And the only thing that detracts his attention is an old uh, rocking chair creaking on a, on a porch. When he happens to see the address of the house that this rocking chair is in front of, he realizes that it's the same address that is on Captain Murdoch's card that he gave him. That so happens he's... to me like every other day. I'm like chasing <laughs> a random woman walking down the street. She turns a corner, she's gone, and I look up and I'm at my friend's house. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> that may have been just your friend you were following. You didn't realize it. <laughs> or, or their creepy mom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Johnny goes ahead and rings the bell, and Murdoch gladly lets him in. Inside, and we can assume some time later, Captain Murdoch has apparently been regaling stories of his adventures in the Navy. And Johnny finally asks him about Mora. What I want to tell you is difficult to put into words, certainly into words that you would understand. However, I can put the basic fact quite bluntly. You are in grave and serious danger as long as you continue to see Mora. I'm in danger from you? No, certainly not. Then what are you talking about? Mora, my friend, Mora. You must be crazy. On the contrary, I'm quite sane. And Mora is quite dangerous to you. In what way? Well, uh, shall we say that she... uh, that she suffers from a certain... Compulsion, which might cause her to take your life. You're trying to tell me that she's insane? Not precisely, but it might be better if you thought she were. Oh, I wish you'd take my word for it. Break off this, this acquaintance before it's too late. You're a nice young fellow. I wouldn't like to see you get hurt. After getting Johnny to fetch another bottle of booze, and Johnny discovering a severed hand in a jar, <laughs> yeah, which was a... Like you do. I mean, come <laughs> on. Everybody has one of those. <laughs> well, especially if you happen to be friends of the Sultan of Marrakesh. Wh- which who, we all who are. Who knows you collect some <laughs> odd things. Yeah, it's a little bizarre. Murdoch continues to tell Johnny about Mora. He claims that Mora is indeed a true mermaid. And then he passes out. (laughs) I know. Very conveniently timed passing out there. (laughs) Well, a little later, I don't know if I... I kind of don't know if it's the next day or later that night. But Johnny is back with Mora, and he tells her what Murdoch told him. She, surprisingly, tells him that it's all true. 
and that others are waiting for her to join them, and that creepy woman in black is one of them. <laughs> Johnny tries to convince her that all of this can't be true, but she's not swayed. I don't know how or where you got these ideas, but they're wrong. You see, these things don't happen. Johnny, if only they didn't. If only they couldn't happen. Americans have such a simple view of the world. You think that everything can be seen and touched and weighed and measured. You think you've discovered reality, but you don't even know what it is. Then you mean that everything Sam told me is the truth? Almost everything. Will you just tell me how you know? Because I feel the seawater in my veins. Because I listen to the roar of the sea and it speaks to me like a mother's voice. The tide pulls at my heart. The face of the moon fills my soul with a strange longing. Laura, I don't understand. Johnny tells Mora that he doesn't know or understand what exactly is going on, but together they're going to work it out. So another day, Johnny visits Madame Romanovich. She's thrilled to see him and says that she wants to help him with his troubles. In fact, she even says that she willed him to come. <laughs> That's how I got my husband. <laughs> <laughs> she provides him with a tarot card reading and does confirm that he is in great danger. I love this. You are in danger. Grave danger. What kind of danger? Grave danger, you dumb butt. I just said you're in grave danger. What are you, are you listening at all? Oh, I wish she had gone off on him. <laughs> Every I actually, time I watched it, I was like, grave, she just said grave danger. Oh, I'm actually curious. I didn't look her up whether she was an actress or one of Corman's regulars or what, but she, when she does the tarot card reading and everything, you almost get the feeling that she may have actually been a tarot card reader. She, it's a very convincing reading. She, and I, and I, I actually really, this is going to sound funny, but I really appreciated how she explained the layout of the cards and all of that. I learned more about tarot from this movie than I have ever known about it at all. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Madam. Uh, what's your name? That's, Romanovich. That's Madam Romanovich. It was very educational. Yep, absolutely. Well, later, Johnny and Ellen are talking. Uh, he is telling her what Romanovich said. And after everyone saying the same thing over and over, he's even starting to believe it a little bit. And I, I should also mention, too, I got a kick of in this film with Ellen anything is every time someone comes in, or well, particularly when Johnny, would you like some coffee? Here, here's some coffee. Uh, Really, I, I I could have believed at the end of this film that it was all a hallucinogen from like <laughs> in the something coffee. she put in his coffee. Yeah, <laughs> there is no more uh, only Zool. <laughs> <laughs> it was just really funny how I mean she she was a coffee pusher is all I'm saying. <laughs> Elam asks him, and he admits that he is in love with Mora. Because we couldn't tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. After finishing his coffee, he goes for a walk. And after Mora gets home from work, he goes to her apartment. He lets himself in and calls out to her. She's in the bath. Johnny lies down on the couch because he's really tired. I, I wanted him to, to, you know, politely knock on the door and her say, come in and have a tail. I was oh, desperate for that no. to happen in this. Just, I think I, I must have absorbed too much from splash when i was younger but. yeah well i have to admit when i when we're talking about a movie with a possible mermaid and she's in the bath that's the first thing my brain went You're to right. too <laughs> daryl hannah in the bathtub tail yep. <laughs> well johnny's really tired so yeah he lays down on the couch to take a nap he uh thinks he sees mora come out of the bath wearing only a towel 
and sit on the couch with him. Wow. But when he looks down, he discovers a fishtail where her legs should tail. be. She's got the tail! She kisses him, and it turns out this is a dream turned to nightmare as he finds himself being grabbed by tentacles and strangled to death. Giant octopus attacking. He starts awake, but he finds Mora gone. Wet footprints lead out of the apartment and down the hall. He follows these prints outside and to the beach, and these must have been soaking wet footprints because they go... (laughs) (laughs) She's made of water. She's She's apparently made made of of water. water. (laughs) Also, who gets out of the bath and then goes to the ocean? What in the world? Well, it's because, you know, after a while, he does find her under the pier. She's struggling against the incoming tide. She cries to him that they were calling her, calling for her to return to them. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> and believe it or not, I feel like we went through this really quick. This brings us to the one hour mark, and there's only about 20 or so minutes left to go. So I'm actually going to finish the synopsis right there. So you have to, like, if you want to know if Mora is truly a mermaid or not, you're going to have to watch the film yourself. I actually found myself kind of enjoying this film. I liked Dennis Hopper and Mora. Dennis Hopper, I couldn't figure it out. When he's doing some of his lines and the way his body movement, what he does, you know, especially when he's when he's on the beach, he's either an expert at acting like a natural what's what's the term? It's not is it blocking or I, I don't I don't know what the term is when you're trying to you're doing things other than just reciting your lines. Acting? <laughs> yeah, just acting. I just I can't tell if he's really good at it or really bad at it. You know, because he he the way he just he starts talking and he it's like he doesn't really know what to do with his hands. Uh, should I take a drag of my cigarette? No. Should I take a drink? Oh, it's my bottle. I should drink out of my cup. Or uh, I'm gonna swipe the sand off my shoulder. I mean, it's just I don't know. It all in the, in the end though, it felt. Like you were saying before, I think, uh, very natural between these two. It, it does. And that's funny that you're saying that. And now I'm super curious. I kind of feel like I need to pull it up real quick and go back and look at it because I don't, I don't remember noticing anything like that. It, hmm. He just feels pretty natural. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what I mean. So it's just – it's either him as a person – being a bad actor or a really good actor being a very natural <laughs> character. I, I to, yeah. I don't know. And, and it's funny throughout this whole movie, a lot of, a lot of the people in it just feel very natural. And Ellen mm-hmm. is a great example of it. She's, she doesn't seem like she's acting. She's just explaining things. And yeah, I mean, you can tell that the camera is set up to watch her, but she doesn't feel like she's cheating toward the camera. She doesn't feel like she's talking to a guy that she's supposed to be really interested in. She's just like this sweet girl that, you know, there's a, a moment in it later on in the movie where, you know, he, he looks at her and, and she kind of has this, like, just a kind of normal, neutral look on her face. Mm-hmm. But when he looks at her, she just, like, lights up and really smiles. And there's a lot of that in here where it feels really natural and to the point where it's kind of awkward because people in reality in real life aren't fluid and graceful we're just all kind of a little bit awkward mm-hmm. and so in the movie it comes across as you're expecting them to have this you know presence but that that's exactly what they're lacking they don't have like a presence about them like we're used to in movies and so it feels very casual and you you really kind of believe them all yeah and i i I don't know what it is. I think I just, for some reason, particularly in this film, I picked up on a lot of the body language of the of of the characters of the actors, mm-hmm. and especially like Ellen. I mean, she does always take just that one extra step closer to Johnny yes. than was probably necessary, yeah. or she she looks at him a little bit more intently than you might than other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's, um, it's interesting. And, yeah, and I and I kind of saw that. In a lot of the of, of the actors, uh, I saw it in uh, in Dennis Hopper. I saw it in mm-hmm. Johnny. I saw it in Mora. Mm-hmm. It's just you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're just. I'm just going to keep repeating you. You're going to keep repeating me. Yeah, it, well, it just does, all it comes makes me, across. It makes me want to go back and watch some other movies by this director and see if this is something that he did, where he mm. would 
really encourage people to just be very relaxed and natural about it. And it's almost as if he didn't, and you're right, blocking is the right word. It's almost as if he intentionally did not block them. So he did not set them up to say, okay, so when you say this, reach for your cigarette or anything like that, he, you know, it's almost like he's saying, just, just be natural. So say the line, but just be very natural about it. And there are a lot of times where it, it, like Johnny will ask a question after Mora has sort of answered it and it you can't tell if he forgot to get the line in and he's trying to just shove it in there or if he's just being like an awkward natural person right so it's throughout the whole thing and it's see it's definitely it's definitively him but with everybody Mm -hmm. they have their own kind of quirks so yeah sorry now i now i'm repeating myself (laughs) (laughs) but it, it it is one of those weird ones where this could be an awful, really just painful movie to watch, but it weirdly isn't. No, it's really not. It's surprisingly watchable, and a mm-hmm. lot of it has to do with just being able to just kind of watch these people do the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. You, you just pick up. This would be a fun one to actually watch and just sit there and point out uh, different things. Uh, there's moments like when uh, – Johnny's on the bench talking with uh, Madame Romanovich and everything, and I notice he he makes a point that he he takes a drag of the cigarette, but then he puts it behind the bench mm-hmm. and down, so it's not always burning right in their faces, and he yes. he's always blowing it off to the side to make sure he's not in anyone's face. I'm like, well, that's a very polite, <laughs> gentlemanly thing to do. It, I, I just I noticed those little nuances, I guess, would be the word. Yeah. Well, there, and, and there's a. It's interesting. There's the part where they're on the beach and at night, and she's dancing, and then she kind of falls. She faints, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, everybody gathers around and jumps in there, and he's like, you know, more and more, are you okay? And he's like, Can you guys all just back off. And right. you're like, oh, he's like legit. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's back to her, and he's like gentle again. So it's so interesting because it's mm-hmm. really it doesn't feel acted at all. It yeah. feels. And, Super and, normal. And a little further in that scene, everyone's watching her dance. She's doing her, her, her little dance, and everyone's watching it. And you, what I picked up, I kind of got a vibe off of Johnny that was kind of like he's trying to act like he's having a good time, but in a way he's a little jealous that she's dancing for everybody. Yeah, or like, hey, what's going on? Why Why are they? I don't know. Well, and then also the way she's dancing, she's Yeah, it's like, not like. She's it's not doing like the the Watusi. It's a it's no. a little. <laughs> she's yeah. She's like having fun dancing, but it it a point. It's almost like she's like intoxicated, mm-hmm. you know, or in a so... trance of some kind yes, or something. Yeah, like a trance. That's a good way to say it. Yeah, I was going to say that the dance doesn't go so far as being sexual or no, erotic, but it does kind of just walk up to that line a little bit. I thought well, it, it see it, it, you definitely get the sensual. Ooh, how's that? It was kind I, of a sensual. I wouldn't dance. even go with sensual, but she definitely like she closes her eyes through a lot of it, and it's almost like she forgets anybody's around. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I, I just really found myself kind of interested in all in all these in these characters. Mm-hmm. And there definitely is some con- confusing elements there are confusing elements to this movie and there are some things that happen a little bit later on where that i'd love to talk to you about but since they would be spoilers they i would can't be. <laughs> <laughs> and i will point out too that because there's a few real standouts and i think probably the three um you know dennis hopper uh lawson and um i forget her name already they played ellen I consider those kind of like the three standout actors, mm-hmm. and I think they just sort of highlight the other some of the other actors who are a little bit more cliche, cliche and mm-hmm. you know one dimensional. Mm-hmm. They only kind of highlight them. Like uh, Murdoch is just my gosh, I've seen this character so many <laughs> times, you know. Yes, and yeah. even. As much as I like uh, uh, Madame Romanovich and the way she does the tarot reading and everything, still, she seems like a little bit more character actor. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and it stands out when you put them against all the, these these other three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it's not it isn't horribly detracting, but there is there there's a bit of a difference. Yeah, no, it doesn't pull you out, but it's noticeable. Mm-hmm. 
we kind of picked this one originally. I was thinking this would be our <laughs> our October show because they're like, oh, where mermaid? I mean, you know, because the description is talking about <laughs> under the full moon and she may be there, killing people. There, and- mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that was, you know, the all about the, the the full moon and she's killing people and all this. I'm like, oh, okay, this sounds great. And I was like, that's not what this movie is at it's really, all. Yeah, it's definitely not. No, I, but it was still an entertaining film. Um, but yeah, once again, suckered in by the synopsis. But I'm in this case, I'm kind of glad we were because I I find myself kind of watching a film and I'm thinking. I would recommend this for people. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one that I would be happy to put on again, kind of in the background as I'm doing other stuff. It's not, um, it's not a movie that you have to like stare at and get really involved in, but it also isn't so boring that you're going to fall asleep if you don't put something else on. Yeah, no, exactly. I can't imagine. I can't think of anything else to mention without just repeating herself some more. Except uh, that I and there are some people that listen to this that are definitely going to get it right away. <laughs> if if you've seen this movie, watching this movie for the first five minutes, I could not get the impression out of my head that I was watching Peta from the Hunger Games. He looks so much like the guy, and then he acts like him. He's like sweet and kind of quiet. And so, yeah, it, it was. I actually had to go back and go, are they related at all? And when you look at them side by side, they're not that similar. The actors aren't. Mm-hmm. But I just, he just reminds me so much of the character from the oh, games. <laughs> interesting. I, I have to admit, I've not seen the film, so I, I'm not sure. I don't have no idea. I, I couldn't even begin to guess whether you would enjoy them or not. I think I, I brought it home to watch once, but I never did. I did actually, uh, I think I read the first book, or at least most of it, but that was a while ago, so I don't really even remember that much about it. Well, you know, Battle Royale, Hunger Games, that's another episode. We should probably get yeah. on the Ophels. <laughs> but let's put, uh, I guess we can go ahead and put some numbers on this mm-hmm. film. Um, I'm going to make you go first this time. Where would you rate Night Tide from 1963? Oh man, I was kind of hoping you would go first. So I'm I'm going to point out that this movie has a 6.4 on IMDb. So this is not a movie that you go to Rotten Tomatoes and it's like 10% or something like that. Um, probably compared to other movies of its era, it should have a pretty high rating. You know, it's it's not a musical. It's not, you know, bed knobs and broomsticks or anything like that. It's a kind of serious black and white 1960s bongos and oboe solo kind of movie <laughs> so i i'm torn because typically i would not rate it higher than a two hmm. but it's 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 better than a two yeah in its context (laughs) and there are definitely some parts about it where i go well i hate to give it a two because a two tells people oh you definitely shouldn't see this but there's enough quirkiness to this movie that even if it is a two i still think that it's especially if you enjoy movies and you have to enjoy movies or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast it's worth going and watching it just for the quirkiness of the characters and to kind of sit there and go is this is this direction or is this just these people just trying to figure out what to do with themselves so i i i could very comfortably give it a two and a half um i feel like there's i i don't know if i want to give it a three or not I think I think I'm comfortable giving it a three. I think I've just talked myself into a three, so because <laughs> it is a movie that I would say, you know, if you if you're feeling like watching something that's kind of low key, but you still that it's very character driven, this is a good option. So I mm-hmm. think I think we're going to go with a solid, a nice solid three out of five. Um, I but I don't. It's not a movie that's going to change my life. It will probably prompt me to watch some other movies, but I'm not going to have my husband watch it <laughs> because he would be so he'd be like, eh. <laughs> so if you enjoy film and if you enjoy watching nuances, definitely go for it. But it, this is not a movie that I'd recommend to just anybody. This is a movie that I would say, you know, if you if you want to see interesting characters and learn about the characters, do that. If Transformers is your favorite movie, just don't watch this movie. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely in a different, uh, different ball field there. Uh, I think I'm going to be right there with you. I will give it a. I will give it a three. I don't think I have much argument in trying to like work up to a three. I honestly find myself kind of having to work down to a three a little bit. It doesn't deserve more than that, but it's kind of one of these things where I enjoyed it. I enjoyed so much about it that I want to, but it, it, yes. it's really not deserving. And I feel like so many yes. we've, we've done so many films here lately where it's like, oh yeah, it's a three. Which honestly, on our scale between you know one and five, three is like right down the middle. It's almost like I could have not watched the film and given it a three. You know, I. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a solid three, I think, is, is is a good one for this film. It's just, yeah, I wish I could give it more. I, I There's a lot of it that, little bits and pieces, like if you're going to break it down, break different things down into just um, acting or directing or writing, I think it would all have different scores mm-hmm. all, all up and down. Yes. But I think, I think you kind of have to average it out a little bit and just go, I a three. <laughs> well, and, and it's I, th- I think it's worth mentioning, if this movie had a different ending, it could go very strongly in one direction or another where the ratings are yes. concerned. <clears throat> yes, but I because agree. of the way, and not just because the way it ends, but partially because the way it ends, um, you know, you don't, you don't have a really strong push to give it a really high or a really low score. So... Uh, take that as you will. You'll have mm-hmm. to go and watch it to see if you agree or not. <laughs> yeah, and I think too the ending here, whether you like it or not. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be very subjective. There's going to mm-hmm. be a group of people watching it, going, going, what, really, huh? Mm-hmm. And there's other people who are like, oh, I like that. You yes. Know? Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, I, it's good. It's a very subjective. I mean, the last twenty minutes of this film, I think, is. What we described is definitely, you know, I think people would agree. They're like, oh, yeah, sure, sir, sitting for a three. But whether it gets higher <laughs> or lower is going to be decided in the last 20 minutes of this film. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, and it's funny. There are, uh, it's it's an ending that I, I'm trying to think, and I'm not going to give anything away, but I'm trying to think if there's a different ending I would have given it. And it's kind of like, it. No. Yeah. <laughs> I there are definitely other endings that it could have had, but the way that it ends, it's just it, I think again I think the word for it is quirky. Mhm. It's a little bit quirky and you kind of walk out of the theater going you know, I wonder if what happens after this movie is blah. Right, it's not going to keep you awake at night, but it it does. It's not one of those movies where you just go, you know, oh, never going to think about that movie again. (laughs) So, yeah, I uh, yeah, I think the movie is or the ending of this is definitely gonna gonna drive how much you like it or dislike it. Yeah, but it was an interesting one. I'm glad we dug it up. I'm glad we found it, and I'm glad I'm glad we watched it. it, And I ended up having fun watching it. I did too. Honestly, it, it. Sometimes, you know, I think we've talked about it in the past. Sometimes we'll, you know, preview a movie and then we go back and we're like, oh, God, I have to watch that thing again and take some notes. I didn't feel (laughs) that way about this one. I actually ended up watching it, well, pseudo watching it uh, more than I had to, more times than I needed to, to have a good grasp for it. So I suppose that that's even a better argument for giving it a solid three. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and this was another one of those films where usually with. You know, I'll watch it the first time, and then the second time I'll watch is when I'll do my notes, and I'll have mm-hmm. to stop and start it, you know, over and over to so mm-hmm. I have time to write things down and everything. And then when I got to the point where, like, okay, this is where I'm going to end my synopsis, I just kept let 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 it play. Yeah, I just watched the <laughs> end again, and I did the same thing. Yeah. I did the exact same thing. Yep. So yeah. So there you go. So I I don't know if a, a better recommendation can be given by Orphan Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best three we've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess that is going to do it then for Night Tide. I want to appreciate want to thank everybody for uh, listening. We truly do appreciate it. Any thoughts on this or any film? Do send them to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com or come on the Facebook group and leave your and leave a comment there just go ahead and start a start a post and um, yeah that's it subscribe to the YouTube page and uh, yeah I guess that's it so Lydia thank you very much once again 
Thank you. I, as always, I appreciate it. I love that we end up watching things that I would probably not have found on my own. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is one that I probably, if I'd stumbled across it on my own, I probably would have watched. Uh, just because of the synopsis, it just it would have been sounded. It sounded like something to be right up my alley. <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, I'm very glad that I was able to, because you know indirectly, uh, I wasn't like trying to <laughs> make you watch something <laughs> out of your out of your uh, your wheelhouse. But uh, I'm glad that it uh, ended up being something that you enjoyed. So that's going to do it uh, again. I keep saying it's going to do it. So yes, uh, <laughs> that will do it. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you in another month. Bye, everybody. Bye. 